Hello everybody. Friday saw Sale and Newcastle combine for 47 points and yet it still wasn't a classic. But then again, what else would you expect from the Northern Derby? My name is Lewis, welcome back inside the Shark Tank and joining me to discuss Sale's 31-16 win over our Northern brothers are my co-hosts Alex and James. Alex, how are you? Uh, I'm good, thanks, mate. I'm I'm relieved, I think I would say, after um, a potential banana skin relatively well navigated and and quite relaxed, you know, for for a sale game, my heart rate wasn't through the roof. So um, yeah, can't you can't complain, can you? How are you? Yeah, not too bad. Look, you know, on this podcast, we love Newcastle, right? You know, it's great to have another team from the north in in the Premiership. You hate to take points away from them, but if anyone's going to do it, it has to be Sale. And it was pretty pretty strong win and, and low key, you know. Alex Sanderson's won four games out of six. You know, it's two wins on the bounce and things. You know, although we're not necessarily firing all, on all cylinders, which we'll come on to in a bit, things are starting to go in the right direction again. James, how are you? Yeah, feeling very similarly. Um, you know, the, the, this particular team, like our first choice side, I think you, you could say, you know, is on a bit of a roll um, and has been for a while. And there's a real belief in this team and um the 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 trick and with well I'm sure we'll get into this is how does Axe rotate because I think rotation is exactly the right policy. It's just like how? Uh how do you do it in a way that that keeps momentum and keeps this confidence as high as it is. So yeah, looking forward to discussing it with you guys. Well let's uh let's just jump straight into it because Alex, you know, two minutes in after Cloak throws a hero pass, Marlon Yard shows some good good evasiveness. We score in the corner uh, when we're 7-0 up. Ten minutes later, AJ McGinty finally busts out a move that isn't the show and go to set Lou Diago away, um, you know, to score. You know, after 14 minutes, we're 12-0 up. And, you know, Newcastle, you know, missing some key players on the road. This is looking like this is a game for the taking for sale. And, and kind of from then on, you know, we spoke about this on Friday. The game kind of just died off for about 50 minutes until towards uh, towards the final part of the second half. So from, from your side, you know, on, on the face of it, 31-16, it's a strong, solid win. Sale led from tape to tape. But there's no bonus point, no try bonus point. It's just a four-point win. And, you know, wh- where do you kind of sit on Sale's performance from Friday? Um, I think a lot of the credit for it being, you know, a more difficult game than it should have been after going 12 0 past to go to Newcastle. Because I think, you know, they are a very, very good side at sort of keeping themselves in the fight and keeping hold of the ball and not really allowing us that that chance to attack. Um, you know, I think part of that is obviously we've we've mentioned our concerns with attack for a long time. And yeah, after being 12 0 up in in the first however many minutes you almost automatically expect a bonus point. But I think if you take the game as a whole, you know, we probably didn't deserve a bonus point on on the strength of both teams. And I think Newcastle's defence wasn't poor by any stretch of the imagination. Our defence was excellent. But the one thing we did struggle with was turnovers and, you know, getting the ball back. Because if Newcastle wanted to keep hold of it, they could quite easily. They didn't really go anywhere. Um, you know, it was a lot of side-to-side movement. But I think overall, yeah, you know, that first 10 minutes I was thinking, right, try bonus point here, should be absolutely fine. And then Newcastle kind of came back into the game, worked us out, played very well, probably outplayed us in the middle part of the game, and we just kind of kept ourselves in it. And I think when you look at it like that, it's actually a very good win and quite well managed. And I think the only potential kind of disappointment is that I think in the last 10 minutes of the game, we... Once we'd got ourselves, we didn't get ourselves 14 points clear quickly enough because I do think that was necessary to kind of take away those jitters that we've had. You know, we had a nervy finish against Exeter um, last week. We had, you know, the loss against Queens. I mean, the, the loss against Newcastle earlier in the season, you know, we've proved that they've got a hell of a lot of spirit and have got enough quality to, you know, have a moment in the game that, that turns it. Um so I think getting 14 points clear was key and we probably just took too long to do that, um, you know, to win a penalty in the right area of the field and then and then convert it. Um, and I think if we'd done that in the first half, then we would have opened the game up a bit more, but we were always pegged back by that and we're only 12 points clear or we're only nine points clear. So we just need to keep ourselves, keep them at arm's length. 
So it was a very professional performance, and I don't think it's a disaster to get no bonus point. But I do think at the end of the season, we'll look at games like these and go, if we could have got ourselves away 20 minutes earlier, you know, you look at what Exeter did against Bath yesterday, they by the you know they they just kept going and kept going but they got themselves away to the point where they could then could get the bonus point um and i think we we struggle to do that we never we don't put a team away quickly enough to get that bonus point and that's probably been our key issue because by those last 10 minutes we were actually playing some very good rugby we worn newcastle down throughout the you know the 70 minutes prior and actually if the game had gone on for five minutes we'd have scored another try and got a bonus point in my opinion <clears throat> I want to spin off from from that a little bit because if you look at the kind of game log, you know, say I'll go twelve nil up and then it's twelve three, fifteen three, fifteen six, eighteen six, and it kind of in that middle part of the game, it really sort of ebbed and flowed between Sale scoring yeah, three points, Newcastle scoring three points, and it wasn't really until um, John Matavesi's try with, with five minutes left that Newcastle get. Really, uh, anywhere close, you know. At that point, it's um, it's twenty four sixteen um, to in Sales' favour. And James actually kind of watching this in the second half. What was what was your view really on kind of Sales' continued, I guess, pragmatic approach where we were maybe sort of nine, ten, eleven points up, and maybe rather than going for the kill and kicking for the corner, we were very happy to kick another three points and slowly pad out the lead, um, especially in that kind of second half. I think it was absolutely the right decision. We're not playing quite well enough to just be backing ourselves to go to the corner. It's not like Exeter where, you know, even though Joe Simmons is an excellent kicker, you know, their their conversion rate of being five metres out is so high that why wouldn't you? Um, uh, and I think that if we got, just the same as Alex said, if we'd got beyond two scores, it would have made the decision for us. Rob Dupree wouldn't have had to kick those goals. We would have gone to the corner and we could have got, we probably would have got a, a winning bonus point, but because we couldn't just get that out. So the thing that killed us was that the middle forty minutes, really, not just we're just not being able to get that ex, that next score each time Newcastle stayed in the game. You know that's what they do, um, and uh, I think you you know you're massively underestimating the Falcons if you uh, if you're just thinking we're just going to rock up and get four points. I mean that they, they they beat us more than we beat them. Let's be absolutely honest about this. We normally lose to Newcastle Falcons and we're sitting here with four points. And Rob Dupree, you know, kicked his goals. And uh, actually, could you have imagined those last few minutes, instead of being eight points ahead, if we'd been five or six points ahead, it would have been standard sale, wouldn't it? In squeaky bum time would have been absolutely horrific. So um, I think it's easy to say um, about the five points. Um, that's the difference between us and the top two sides at the moment. That that is the difference. You know that they are getting five point wins. They can get five point wins. They're very confident about doing that. Sale just aren't at the moment, and therefore we have to bank the four first, and we need to to keep pace. You know, if uh, Quins and Saints weren't playing each other today, you know, there's there's a top five really that look like they're it was still pretty close all the way down to about eighth or something. So we can't count our chickens, but certainly by keeping in touching distance of second place Exeter, Bristol look clear. Um, we just need to keep winning um, and hope that something something clicks. But I think the good news is, is that we still managed to score three tries. You know, let's, we're, we're, we're the, uh, kicking ourselves about not getting a try bonus point. We've scored three tries. How often has that happened in the last 24 months? So step forward. And we've scored 30 points, you know. We've said for ages we can't score more than 20 points, can we? So to score 30, you're right, you can't complain. There were signs, weren't there? Uh, Lewis, it'd be interesting to get your view on this. I'm sure it's on the agenda anyway. But there were signs that the attacking structure looked like it could work uh, for the first time in a long time. What's your view? Yeah, I mean, I think that there are green shoots there. Um, I think as we've kind of already spoken about, that kind of core team looks a bit more settled and obviously coming into this game, only two changes made to the to the starting 15. And, and that kind of, I think, kind of came to fruition in the backs, especially at the start where, um, you know, De Klerk is kind of fizzing around and getting the ball to, to key, key playmakers. McGinty, we'll, we'll come on to him. He had a very, very strong game. And we were seeing a nice variety in short passes, long passes, 
we were getting the ball to our forwards in the right positions. And, and you know, one of the criminal ways we underuse players like Dan Dupree, who had a pretty quiet game, is we never really get him in space. He's always kind of in the middle part of the pitch. Well, for that second try, we got Josh Beaumont, who we know can run with the ball out on the wing. He gets the ball back into to McGinty and then Diaga. And, and Diaga, you know, on top of everything else, can, can apparently step wingers now uh, to score tries. You know, what we did really well was move our players around um, and actually get the ball to them with consistency. We didn't play off nine quite as much, um, you know, especially compared to that extra game where we spoke about it last week. There was a little bit more variety. Sam James got got hold of the ball a little bit more. And we're still not quite there. You know, I think, uh, you know, and I want to get Alex's thoughts on this, but the middle 40, we didn't play much rugby, territory possession. It was all kind of with Newcastle. And we were happy to, to let them have it. They weren't really threatening us. Our defence was, was pretty rock solid. Um, you know, and that's sort of how you have to play those games sometimes, letting the opposition have the ball, especially when you're 12 points ahead. But... There was just kind of some sense that we were starting to to get the ball moved around a little bit more frequently and a little bit in a little bit more varied way as well. Uh, we saw that for the first two tries. We actually saw that for the third try as well, where we were able to get the ball out of the back quick, and and Sam James is able to beat the uh, the rush defender to get the ball to I think it's Marlon Yard who then gives it to Hammersley. You know, so so it's there. The execution was there. I think you know. I, I still don't think we're necessarily putting our players in the most effective positions all the time. But actually, when we did it against Falcons on Friday, we were executing quite well. And hopefully, that's a testament to the squad being a little bit settled, the backline being a bit more settled, um, and obviously, you know, Axe and, and Warren Sprague and, and the rest of the coaching staff, their sort of coaching starting to. Um, kind of sink in with, with the players and, and getting them to play how the uh, how the coaching brass wants them to play, but you know that that's the positive sort of outlook on it. But obviously, Alex, you know there was basically a 40, 50 minute period in the middle where the game kind of died a bit uh, and not 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 a lot happened. So obviously, you know, so have this really quick start. You know, they, they, they pad out a lead. And what kind of happened from from your perspective in the middle to kind of kill the game off? Was it a case of Sale maybe uh, not playing with that confidence, you know, to um, you know generate attacking opportunities, or do you think it's more a case of Newcastle kind of dragging us down and getting us into a bit of an arm wrestle? Yeah, I think Newcastle. I think, as I said earlier, a lot of credit has to go to Newcastle, and you know, on this, what they did well was tactical kicking was was really good. I thought they used that really well, either. You know, putting up a box kick that was contestable, and then actually our our collections of box kicks, as they were against Newcastle at Newcastle, were poor comparatively. Um, you know, I think we quite a lot of the time gave them the ball back. That was partly because they were very good box kicks and well contested, but also, you know, we probably didn't have that. There seemed to be a bit of a disconnect between Luke James coming in from fullback and other people. And if it was someone else's responsibility, we didn't quite know who that was. So then that was part of it. I thought Brett Connan's kicking game out of hand was actually really, really good and put us back into our into the sort of positions of the pitch we didn't want to play in. And I do think tactically, you know, we we kind of knew that we had to get into Newcastle's half to play around them. And we just weren't kind of willing to play in our own half with the ball, which I think is absolutely fair enough because they're a very good defensive side. Um, and as you rightly said, you, you, James, you're not going to turn up and run rings around them. This isn't, you know, um, this isn't Cornish Pirates. Um, so I think it, it made a lot of sense that when we got into that middle part of the game, um, we kind of almost had to take you know a step back and just let them come at us and let them tire themselves out. I do think that by the time we got to the end of the game, what what I thought was interesting was the first two tries aren't that much to do with... The attacking structure is good for the setup, but in terms of the conversion, it's a piece of brilliance from Faf um, to get Marlon in the corner and an excellent finish. And then it's a piece of brilliance from AJ, firstly with the pass out wide, um, and then with the throwback inside, and also Lou Diaga running that sporting line because, you know, you'd... With the best will in the world, if that's Matt Postlethwaite, I don't think he's running that sporting line. I think he's, you know, looking to hit the next rook or whatever. Um, and I think that's why the third try was actually the most encouraging 
because that was several phases of really good play. We we get the kick return, we hit Dan Depria up, um, which is a new tactic I think I've seen come in, putting Dan Depria in the backfield and letting him hit up, which is quite good, um, rather than having Simon Hammersley getting absolutely walloped. Um, we then move it out to the right, find space. We move it back to the left and find the space on that side. And it's just well executed. And then, you know, Simon Hammersley and Marlon Yard in a two-on-one, which I think it was against Quinns maybe last week where they butchered that, or maybe it was earlier. Uh, Not last week, obviously, two weeks ago. Um, But, you know, they executed really well and we scored the try. So that one was the most encouraging for me. But the problem was we had to break. You can't do that in the 20th, 20th, 30th minute against Newcastle. And I just think maybe what we should have done at that point if we look back at the game, was try and push back into their territory, just get a few penalties and knock them over and get ourselves more than 14 points clear because then we could have opened the game up. It's almost that right to go wide, isn't it? Um, but yeah, I think, I think you know, credit to Newcastle because they are a really good side and they every game they play, they make look like an arm wrestle because, of, because you know, they will drag you down into it. They do it to the best teams, so there's no shame in them doing it to us. And maybe I'm giving Sale a bit too much credit here, but I also thought the execution of our game plan um, in opposition to Newcastle's strength was pretty good because you, you, you kind of hit on it there, Alex, which is we didn't play much in our own half. We didn't play much out of our 22, which is what teams like Bristol and, and Quinns do, and, and sometimes it can work really well. What it looks like we did a really good job of is actually say, well, if the ball's in our 22, we'll kick it back to Newcastle and we'll make them play. Because, you know, you look at the possession stats, you know, Newcastle had 67% of possession. Territory stats, 69% was was uh, in Newcastle's favour, you know. And what we did really well was say, well, actually, Newcastle don't really have that many game breakers. They don't necessarily have the players who can kind of beat us to the outside or, or kind of beat us through the middle, per se. And so what they did and what Sale did really well would say, right, well, we're not going to play. We're not going to risk turning the ball over in our own half. We'll kick it back to you and you can do something with it. And that's why Newcastle had overwhelmingly the majority of possession and why, you know, Sale uh, had the majority of, of the ball um, in their own half and, and those territory stats favour Newcastle. So I think Sale did quite a good job there of saying, well, you know, Newcastle can't really kind of beat us one up. That We're going to have to make them try and pin us back. And by doing so, especially with the lead, we basically said, well, you know, you, you have the ball, see if you can do anything with it. And then off the back of that, Sale were actually able to leverage that into territory um, and, and ultimately penalties that they were able to kick. So I thought Sale did quite a good job there of recognising Newcastle's weaknesses in the loose and, um, and kicking on from there uh, into a pretty effective game plan. Um, James, you know, sorry, Alex, go ahead. I was just going to say, you know, we said to them, you, you're right in that we said to them, show us what you can do. And attack-wise, they couldn't do anything. You know, they, they never looked like getting around us. Our defence was superb and the defensive structure was superb. And we just forced turnovers. You know, we didn't win on the, gro- on the ground turnovers. Like, we, you know, we, don't, we didn't rely on a curry, for example. Obviously, we didn't really have one. Um, but the way we won turnovers was through exerting pressure and forcing mistakes. Um, and, you know, you look at their try and it comes from a bobbling ball that I'm convinced went forward, having rewatched it, um, which puts the defence off. Now, we switch off because we're 15 points up, probably partly. But And then it's a really good sport line. But, you know, it's it's not that wasn't the defensive structure that cost us that try. That was a, a bit of a bobble and people turning off around the rook. Um, so I think... I think you're right that, you know, we should have the confidence now that when we play teams like Newcastle um, and some of those other teams, you know, maybe Gloucester, if we, if we next time we play them, we can say to them, if you want to have the ball and run at us, you can do it all day, but you're never going to get through us. We just have to make sure we find that kind of mentality switch in getting bonus points at the end of it, because that's what's costing us at the moment, you know. We'd, we'd be well clear of third and fourth if we could get some attacking bonus points. Um, so, and, and to be fair, also if Quinns hadn't had their uh, COVID points, which is another conversation. Um, but yeah, I think that needs a bit of a a bit of a mentality switch going into the second half of the season because we're no longer a team that just needs to 
defend and grind out wins, whether it be home or away. And our team should be looking at getting try bonus points. And maybe this is a bit reductive, but James, you know, you're someone who's who's watched a lot of Saracens in, in your time. And I know the kind of foundations of this sort of style of play where we're already set up with Diamond at the helm at Sale. But that kind of Newcastle, you have the ball, you do something with it. We'll score three tries off 30% possession. There's a lot of Saracens in, in that kind of performance. And do you think the way Sale played on Friday is indicative of the Alex Sanderson effect at the club now that he's leading the tactics and organisation? Yeah, I think there is a, a fair amount in, in there from Saracens. I think you're absolutely right. You know, it, kick, kick the ball. In that middle 40 period, there definitely was. Um, but I'm not necessarily thinking that that's the way we should have managed the game at that point. Um, uh, so that's where I maybe slightly disagree with you guys. I think that that's where you really want to put your foot on the throat, keep the momentum. We, you know, we had maybe I need to give more credit to Falcons in terms of slowing the game down there, but we were playing at a good high intensity. We scored two tries. We should have been keeping the intensity up and putting our foots to the floor and putting our you know, feet on their throat and knock them out of the game. That's what we should have done. We shouldn't have gone back into our shell, kicked it to them and waited to, to give mistakes because we ended up playing into their hands in terms of the way that they play. Um, so I, I don't think that was the right way to, to manage the game then. I've, I'm a full massive fan of the way Saracens play, played their, their, their rugby off Wigglesworth, but the clerk's not Wigglesworth. He's got things that Wigglesworth could never, ever do. And the clerk is, is box kick has improved massively, but it's not the best in the world. I mean, Wigglesworth's kick, box kick was considerably the best in the world, no doubt about it. And then they had wingers that chased really, really effectively. I think our chasing game is improving with Axe. Marlon Yard, I never had down as a really good chaser of the ball. I thought we had an excellent game chasing kicks, really putting pressure on Falcons, really aggressive in the tackle area, deserves a lot of credit. Um, but I wouldn't say that either of our wingers are gonna, ever going to be a Sean Maitland or someone like that, right? Um, although, you know, maybe it's just the Pirates that, that need to play in, in that particular way. Uh, and we need to look at how they defend against Saracens. Um, but no, I thought actually the thing that, uh, that struck me about Sale's attacking game was actually almost the move backwards to where we were a couple of years, like two, three years ago. There was a lot of similarities um, we were we weren't playing off nine anywhere near as much. Um, De Klerk was firing the long passes out rather than just the short passes or running sideways. You know, he was really trying to get the ball out two or three players and allowing the decision making to happen in the outside channels, even if they're forwards. If you remember when we had Bryn Evans, we were such an atta uh, attractive attacking side with him sort of second off the touchline and making a decision ball in hand. And that's what we had with both Lude and Josh Beaumont. And we look really good when we've got second rows that far out. Leave it to other people. He's obviously got, just as you said, Dan Dupree, he's playing more central. You know, when you had Dugdale, when Neil certainly comes on and Ross plays, you've got and Will Griff John, uh, Bevan Rod does a lot of carrying in and around the road. So you've, we've got enough ball carriers there. We don't need Lude and, uh, and Josh to be doing that. Getting them roaming. If they're running at pace, I tell you, with their knee, you know, with their knees coming high, they're not they're, they're not brilliant to tackle, and then they're very difficult to stop offloading, and that means that they've always got options because they're going to attract defenders. I thought that was brilliant, and then I thought the other thing was, as you said, in the first twenty minutes and maybe the last fifteen minutes, we got ball into the hands of McGinty and Sam James, uh, and and I said last week that an, a quick fix to our attacking play is to just give the ball to Sam James. I don't think he was the best player on the pitch by any stretch of the imagination. Um, and I think he's still trying to find some form. But if you just give him the ball and ask him to make a rugby playing decision, it's going to be a good one. And getting McGinty that little bit further out, you know, he's massively underrated. We saw that with the offload going into touch. And I think that it just opens up defences a lot easier. So I can, I can see now some of that old sail coming out. This is not a new Sanderson attacking structure. This is, this is going back to something that Deacon did for us two, three years ago. And I really hope this is a part of a journey now and we see progression next week against Northampton. And the, the other point on that that I think is worth making is 
that second row in the in the wide channel, which is where obviously Brett Evans just made his name. The the kind of other benefit of that is that I don't think people kind of quite expect what you get from Bowman and Diaga and you got from Evans, which is pace and handling ability. Because Beaumont can draw players better than you know some outside centres can. Is you see the way he does it? I'm I'm thinking of that dummy against London Irish that absolutely sold the whole team um, when he runs through. But also for um, Diaga's try, the, the way he draws the defender and passes inside, you know it's it looks quite easy. But for a second row to do it against a professional rugby player is a hell of a skill, and I think. Having those ball players in the wide channels uh, who also offer a carrying threat really puts defences in two minds. And you could see that, you know, not only were we getting it out to second rows in wide channels, but we were getting out to wingers in wide channels. There were big passes to McGuigan and Yard. Um, there was one faff one that, if it had come off, would have been brilliant and actually went straight to touch. But even for our third try, we'd throw a big, long, loopy one out to McGuigan and just stretch the defence across the pitch, which then creates the space on the other side of the, on the other side. So, I think you are right that getting into those wide channels is a massive key, and having Beaumont and Diaga in the second row gives us people who can offer a massive threat in those wide channels. And I think we could do it with Dan Priya as well. But I do think that what Beaumont and Diaga offer is they're not going to look for contact like Dan Priya will. If it's on to pass, they'll pass. If it's on to carry, they'll carry. And if it's on to sell a dummy to a winger and running under the post, they will. So it's a massive, massive kind of um, bonus to have. And probably partly what we've been missing because, you you know, you think both of those players have been out injured for a hell of a long time. And we haven't had that kind of second row. We talk about needing it in the lineup, but we need it in the loose just as much. Probably. And there's two two things on that. The first is you, you see the difference with having Beaumont and Diaga starting versus, let's say, Phillips and Postlewaite, who, again, no disrespect, but the, there is obviously a bit of a talent gap between the former and the latter. And, and the second is, is this is kind of where my frustration <coughs> has been with sales attack for a long time, which is Dan Dupree and Jean-Luc Dupree are absolutely fantastic players and have some of the best ball skills, probably in the premiership. They're, they're offloading ability second to none. But you need to, as the um, attack coaches, you need to manipulate the opposition defences so you're getting someone like a Jean-Luc Dupree in a bit of space where all he needs to do is get the ball away from contact and it's, it sets up your wingers for a, for a 30-metre run and that kind of thing. And we don't really do that. Maybe that's because of the players. You know, they're very sort of contact-heavy, very abrasive, and they like playing in that middle part of the pitch. And maybe you don't want them making those decisions where, whereas you know, you're a bit more confident with the Diago or Beaumont doing it. But ultimately, what we saw on Friday was Sale getting players into positions where their natural skill sets, whether it's hard carrying, whether it's offloading, whether it's passing, um, allows them to make uh, more significant impacts on on phase play. And, you know, if you can get a Jean-Luc Dupree in a bit of space on the wing and all he needs to do is suck in a winger and get the ball out, we know he can absolutely do that. And that's how you end up scoring a lot more tries. And it's something that a team like Bristol does very, very well. Um, and and indeed Exeter as well. So that was really, really encouraging to see. We're starting to see those, as I said, green shoes kind of emerge in terms of getting your best ball-playing players in positions to make significant contributions to attacks. Um, and just, just on that then, James. So, you know, we, we've spoken about Diaga, who was fantastic. Beaumont had a great game. Um, anyone else you want to pick out for for recognition from Friday's uh, Friday's game? Yeah, I mean, but I think our whole front five played really, really well, um, and the second rows were able to benefit from that. But Rod uh, Langdon wasn't as effective, I mean, as he has been in the last couple of weeks. But he's been like basically man of the match the last couple of weeks, so you can afford him a slightly less effective. But he, he hit all his men in his line out. You know, he's becoming a really solid, dependable player, Langdon, with good energy around the park, which I really like. Um, and then I thought um, Griff John uh, had another really good game and just highlights is actually quite a serious worry for us. Um, and it's a very big problem that Axe is going to have to solve. What are we going to do when there's no Griff John? Um, so I, I'm a bit worried about that. Um, other players that I thought played a good game, uh, I thought the clerk had a very good game. Um, I thought Marlon Yard was excellent again. He's he certainly since he signed this contract raised a few eyebrows. You know he's been trying hard um, all season. You know 
but it's just started, and and, and there's, he's definitely lost a yard of pace, isn't he? Sorry for the pun, um, but it, he he has stepping it. He's stepping it up. He, he, you know, he's he's playing really really well for us. Um, and then the other player that I'd just like to highlight, and it's not because he was the best player on the park, uh, but I thought Sam Hill was used more intelligently in this game, which is we've been putting him in in quite serious decision making positions a lot of this year. We've tried to almost build an attack around. Sam Hill, where he's he he's got the ball in his hands and he has to make the decision whether to take it into contact or whether to ship it out the back to someone coming in behind, and he just can't do it. That that's sorry, I don't think he can do it that well. And we just basically used him either as a just a really traditional twelve, like we'd use Van Rensburg or Tuolangi, which is he's coming, and we might give the ball to him or we might not. Now, he's never going to be destructive enough to just blast through three tackles like Van Rensburg and um, but it keep, yeah, and, and Tuolangi, but it keeps the defence honest and he always recycles possession. Um, and I think that's really, really important for us. And it just, give, just gave us enough of that solid structure. You know, we talk about, like, you know, if you've got those ball carriers in close and, 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 and you're recycling possession, you've got the clerk as a bit of a bit of an issue that people have got to keep people honest around the rock area. And then you've got Sam Hill running hard and straight that, and then it gives you the opportunity to get to the ball into McGinty. And, and it's really simple. You learn this kind of shit at, at mini rugby. Um, but I thought that um, he had a good game and, and what I liked about it was his face was obviously seriously bashed up, but it didn't affect the way he played the game. He came straight back on the pitch uh, and was, and was aggro. And I, and I think that's the first time I've seen him like, really up for a game playing for sale. Um, so I just wanted to just highlight him because I think I've been quite critical of Sam Hill since he's joined sale. Um, and, I, and I just thought he was just really solid and it enabled the rest of the team to play. And that leads us very neatly onto the, the one player we've not really spoken too much about yet. And I'll give it to Alex to discuss, who's, who's AJ McGinty, who had, if, if nothing else, the moment of the game with that sublime out-the-back offload on the touchline. So Alex, what did you make of McGinty's performance and, and kind of what what does his progression in the last couple of games say about the direction they are able to take? Yeah, I thought he was absolutely superb and I think he's playing with a hell of a lot of confidence as well. And and the interesting thing with AJ is he doesn't necessarily need confidence um, to, to play well, but he does look a very, you know, every time he's got the ball, he's making good decisions, he's executing passes really well. Um and he's, you know, he's obviously got the confidence to try the out-the-back offload, which was superb. And it's the intelligence of it, I think, because, you know, if he just runs and tries the out-the-back offload, his foot goes into touch, but it's the way you literally see he moves his foot back in and sort of holds it off the ground to keep himself in play. Just to do that in, in, in that moment, I think is superb. And it was interesting on commentary, they were saying, oh, you know, he's, he's had a bit of a, a bit of a, tough time and you know he's now finding some form he's been brilliant that whole time he's been at sale the time when he was struggling was the time when he was out injured with a horrific knee injury um you know like it's it's not that he's ever been anything less than a super player um it's just that he, he had a really tough time with injury and then event you know now he's playing week in week out i think he looks up for it week in week out and you know, we're reaping the rewards. What I think is is kind of is almost strange is that with McGinty, I said on on uh, Friday night, Rob DePrio actually fits into our system a bit better the way he plays the game. Um, you know, and he, throwing those passes out the back, he he almost holds defenders. But what McGinty does is bring that bit of magic, I think. Um, and you know. It's maybe not in a Marcus Smith way in that you know he'll slice defences open and run through them and he's got the pace to do that. But I do think he's just got those moments um, that you think, this is a really, really clever rugby player. The one that I kind of would highlight, because obviously the offload is brilliant and, and you know there's, there's other moments, but just after that try, um, he gets the ball in our half and he looks up and he sees Marlon Yard um, on the wing and he just drops through this really perfectly weighted grubber kick to Marlon Yard off his left foot. And it's just that kind of, you know, I've never seen him do a grubber kick out to a player like that before. It's just that kind of game intelligence and then the execution of it. You know, he's thinking 
and and maybe this is the point. He's always been, you know, thinking of the right things to do, and now he's executing them just so well. Um, and I think that variety is probably what's kind of teams just don't really understand how to defend him. And he's he's very understated. He's not, you know, I I you know, he's not being talked about in in the media as much as it would be if Marcus Smith did that kind of thing or Joe Simmons or whatever. Um, and it's just a massively valuable asset. I think he's playing superb rugby at the moment. And I think we just have to find a way to get him into the team um, because, you know, as much as Rob Dupree is playing well and it's good to have two tens, I think AJ looks like the kind of person who, you know, in a tight game where you need to win, he can come up with a moment of magic and, you know, we'll shout about it for days. And, you know, BT will say, oh, yeah, that was a good bit of play by AJ McGinty, and then it'll never get mentioned again. Um, and I think we just have to appreciate him while we've got him because, you know, he's 31 now. Um, he's, he's coming towards the end of his career. And, and I think this is the time, you know, this is we've got to make the most of him while we've got him and enjoy him because he's playing incredible rugby. And he... I'm going to regret saying this, but he looks like the kind of player who could win as a title in the way that he did with Connacht in the Pro 14. You know, he, he has got that. His kicking is brilliant. His management of the game is brilliant. And if, God forbid, we ever got into anywhere near a, a final or a, even a semi-final, he's the player I'd want on the team sheet because not only can he manage the game and control it, he is also capable of those game-changing moments. I think as well, the fact that you can rely on him for 85% kicking off the tee is so valuable in games like this. You know, James said 20 minutes ago how we, we made the right decision, padding the lead, kicking penalties, um, you know, just, just basically taking the game away from Newcastle because we're in a top four race. And actually having McGinty there as a, a pretty metronomic kicker on top of everything else is, is a real sort of safety blanket that I think allows players like De Klerk and the rest of them to play their, their natural games. Because whilst McGinty certainly isn't risk averse, he's a bit of, um, you know, he's a bit, he's a steady presence. Um, and it means as well, if things aren't working for De Klerk on the day or, or Van Rensburg or Tuolangi, you can always go back to that kind of kick chase approach, play territory, kick penalties, win games. Um and win games is what we want to keep, see Sale keep doing. So, you know, Sale are now four out of six uh, under Alex Sanderson. They're up to third in the table, um, depending the result of Harlequins Northampton this afternoon as we're recording Sunday morning. Uh, and James, it's it's Northampton next for Sale. Um, the Sharks will travel down to Franklin's Gardens uh, to play Northampton on Saturday afternoon. And, and what can we expect from Northampton Um when sale go up against them well a team who have re refound their mojo i think is the answer to that um this time last year people you can move for people saying how brilliant sam vesti and chris boyd were doing with the saints side and then basically the wheels completely came off um when the get when the season restarted back in august um so i mean it was just a complete horror show they lost nine out of ten games last season post august yeah, they were in the top four and then the wheels just completely came off and they couldn't get a win. And that, unfortunately for them, because there was no space really between last season and this season, they didn't have that normal off-season to kind of reset and they took that poor form into this season as well. Um, they lost five games of the new CC, you know, the first five games of this season. First five games. We know how that feels at sale, right? Um, that meant they'd lost 14 of their last 15 games I mean, even of our really bad runs, looking back, you know, a decade, that takes some beating. Um, so, but they've, they've they've had a bit of luck as well. I mean, they beat the, you know, they've played two. Following those first five games, they played two get two um, two games against Worcester and Gloucester, where they managed to win. Um, and they're the teams that you want to scrape a win against and refine your confidence right this season because they've been by far the worst sides in the league this season. They also had two cancelled games, Northampton. So mentally, they've been able to refresh. They also picked up uh, some points during that as well. Um, but then since then, you know, they've, they, they have played better rugby. So it's amazing what just a couple of wins can do to a side. It can just completely transform you. You know, they went on to beat Wasps. They beat Exeter. 
Uh, and then they completely threw it away against Bath last week. Um, should have definitely beaten Bath last week. So the, where, what we face now is competitors for the top four. That's what we face. This is a, a team who are gunning for our, for our place. Um, and um, we'll be basically on near enough level points with us, you know, if, if they do beat us. Um, so the back, interestingly, they're playing good rugby for me. Um, that you know, Chris Boyd's always going to have re- relatively attacking sides. There's obviously no damn bigger, but interestingly, James Grayson is out of favour. Um, and James Grayson, I think, looks like a solid rugby player, but in terms of like a Chris Boyd, Sam Vesti type player, he's not really that, is he? Um, he's a bit like his old man. He's going to you know kick the points. Going to be a solid rugby player. So they've, they've brought George Furbank up to play ten, um, and uh, he's actually played at ten as a, as a more junior player. Um, but burst onto the scene, obviously, as a 15 and got an England squad in that position. But he's a really good ball player, George Furbank. Really good kicker around the park. Attacking kicking, though. Attacking mindsets. Really good um, with his with his short passing game. Is, is really very solid. And he, he had a good game last week, even though they, they managed to throw it away against Bath. He's going again today against Quinns, which is going to be a big... A big game for Northampton. I think if they beat Quinns, they're going to be coming into us. And, and you know, that's that's going to be really, really tough. Um, so uh, looking at the team, you know, they've brought in, I think, a few youngsters under Boyd over the last season or so. And it's actually improved the side. You know, how often do you say that? Usually when a team's in trouble, they go out, they, they pick experienced people, they they bring in experienced people. He just threw in a load of youngsters and he continues to do it. He's brought Tommy Freeman in at 15. So with George Furbank moving up 10, Tommy Freeman coming at 15. He looks like a nice player. Um, got ahead of Malander, um, who is really struggling to make it back from injuries on the bench again this weekend, but really struggling to, to, to come back and have the same impact that he's had in the past. And then the, the backs have really started to play some good rugby. Matt Proctor, uh, they've played him outside centre, but he seems to be playing the last few weeks on the wing and he looks really destructive on the wing, coming off his wing, stepping off his right. He, he always gets through the first couple of tackles. He's very, very difficult to bring down. You do not want him on the ball five metres out. He will just get over the line. Um, Rory Hutchinson's actually on the bench this weekend, but he started to find a bit of form. Yeah, Fraser Dingwall's come in. I, I like the types of centres that Saints have. They have really nice, almost sort of beautiful uh, rugby players. Dingwall and Hutchinson are, are both of those, and they're playing really, really well. There won't be any Alex Mitchell or um, or, or David Ribbons. Ribbons has been brought, um, called up to the England squad to cover Courtney Laws' injury. So no, no Courtney Laws that we have to worry about either, which is nice. Interestingly, they are maybe a few big names down, no Dan Bigger either, of course, but under this resurgence, there's been a few damaged reputations that have been reborn. I'm just going to net- ring out a few names here of some players that I think have had a lot of stick over the last two or three years and are actually starting to play some really, really good rugby. So you've got someone like Sam Matavesi, <clears throat> late 20s, ex-Pirates, they don't seem to be missing him, but Saints, they're really, really, really enjoying having him. And he's made himself first choice. He's got himself ahead of Fish, ahead of Hayward, uh, which is which is good for him. And he's playing some good rugby. Nick Ezekwe, he had a terrible experience recently with England. He's gone away from Saracens on, on loan and he's having a Titan season. He really, really is playing both in the second row and at number six. Nick Autorak, I mean, he's trying to play for every single club in the Premiership. Uh, and when he was at Bath, he was playing some really good rugby. But now he's got himself back to Saints. His first choice, he's got himself ahead of Alex Waller, club captain, and he's playing some really nice rugby. He's got a low centre of gravity and he's a strong man. I think it will be a, a, a task for, for John or whoever plays at tight head playing against him. Tom Wood, people think he's past it. He was played in an England side that was never good enough. He's playing some excellent rugby, often at eight. So, you know, there's no Harrison who was destructive, but I wouldn't say a brilliant rugby player. Tom Woods playing really sensible game, really good leader for Saints at the moment. Lewis Ludlam should be in the England team. He's found form. He's captaining the Saints side. He's energetic. He's aggressive. Considering all of the injuries that we've got in the back row, he should have been called up back into the England squad. Um, and then finally, Piers Francis, the player that alongside Billy Twelve Trees, that everyone just likes to take the piss out of, played at international level, but... It hasn't been quite good enough and, and, and makes mistakes. But he's been brilliant in the last few weeks for Northampton. 
really brilliant. You know, carrying the ball as a 12, he's not that big, um, but he's obviously an ex-fly half and he's making really good decisions and they're starting to play off him and he's bringing their attack to life. So credit where credit's due, Piers Francis is playing brilliant rugby for Northampton Saints and we're going to have to really watch him and try and close him down quickly because they're not playing off Furbank, they're playing off Francis and we've got to really, that'll change the way we defend a little bit. Um, and then finally, as always, just finish on um, on our head-to-head. Marlon Yard's playing some really good rugby, but this lad's coming through and I think he's going to play for England. Ollie Slighthome, he's absolutely rapid, but he's also, he's he's really difficult to bring down. So if he's, I think he might be coming off the bench, probably Proctor will get the nod to start, but Slighthome, look out for him. He's a, he's a really good player. It's going to be a tough ask, as you've mentioned, you know, with the way Saints are slowly rounding back into form and especially away at Franklin's Gardens, where we've always sort of struggled to uh, perform. Flashbacks to watching us get beat there, 60-odd points to six or whatever it was two years ago uh, are coming to mind. But in a way, and Alex, I want to get your thoughts on this, the way Sale played on Friday to beat Newcastle, letting Newcastle have the bulk of possession and effectively inviting them to to play out from their own half and beat us... um, rather than um, us taking the game to them, is actually how I see Sale approaching this game against Northampton. Northampton have a lot of very talented players who can do a lot of damage with the ball, but this feels like the perfect game where Sale are going to be able to uh, test, or not even test, but kind of flex their defensive strength on a Northampton team and say, look, you can have all the ball that you want, but you have to play it out of your own half. We're going to beat you up front. We're going to temper the backs um, and beat them up one-on-one. Um, and then off the back of that, we'll create opportunities for ourselves to counter-attack and win penalties and kick penalties. That's the way I envision Sale playing this game. Even though Northampton are a very different proposition to Newcastle, I think there's a really strong template in place now, given where we are with our current squad, uh, to, to go on the road and beat a team like Northampton. What do you, how do you imagine Sale are going to approach this game? Do you agree that, that that's, you know, Friday has kind of set that template to, to beat two very different teams? In fairness, I think Bristol probably set that template. You know, Bristol are the best attacking team in the league by, by a relatively long way. Although I think Exeter have actually scored more tries than them, which is odd. Um, but I think we know we can do that. And, you know, I think we've always got confidence in giving people the ball and saying, run at us and try and get through us. Um, I think what we just have to be careful of is letting Northampton get into a bit of a, a bit of a great, I mean, Franklin's Gardens is a great track and, you know, we, we tend to, that's probably part of the reason we've struggled is because we tend to like sort of, you know, grittier games. Um, and actually, it's, it's almost like a sevens, you know, start, it, it turns every game into a bit of a, you know, entertainment because it's such a good pitch. Um, I think, while we can always be confident in our defence, but I just think there's a, you know, when we kick the ball to them, we have to kick accurately and sensibly because if you give Naira Voro, for example, or, you know, George Burbank or... Um, Slight home the space, uh, Matt Proctor as well. You know they they will hurt you, and then they've got big ball carriers up front in Ezekiel and Wood who can get them over the game line. And, and you know I think we have to be kind of aware of those threats. I think the way we kind of approach this game is by putting pressure on Furbank as a as a young, good ten, but not you know an experienced one at the top level. Um, and making him make decisions that he doesn't want to make. And, you know, we, we tend to do that with our defence in terms of coming up into the 13 channel and shutting those options off and saying, right, if you want to try and throw it over, if you can. Um, so I think part of it is that. But it's, it's a difficult one to kind of approach because Northampton is so um, hard to predict in how they'll play. And I think James is right. They've got some brilliant players, you know, and if Pierce Francis is on it and... If um, we give them space, and if George Burbank has a good game, we are in we are in trouble. But I do think you know if we try and not shut down the game, but at least you know rely on our defence, and then as you say, try and take our chances when we get them, as the, as we did in that Newcastle game. 
that is the way to approach it. I think the only worry I have on that is that historically we've done well against Northampton through the kind of counter-attacking moves, like you say. But, you know, you think about some of our best performances, it was kind of reliant on Mike Haley and Denny Solomona and Faf in, in, in a proper groove um, to run that kind of, you know, they'll score tries from anywhere and they'll run those almost highlight real worthy tries in. And actually what we need to do is do that, but with players who probably aren't quite as good at that. You know, if we're playing Luke James at fullback, he's a brilliant player, but he's solid. And if we're playing, you know, Brian McGreen and Marlon Yard on the wings, they're both good, but they're, you know, they're, they're not electric and lighting up the game. So I think you're right in that we've got that style of play from that Newcastle game and that Bristol game and probably that Exeter game as well with this squad that I think works. But the way we're probably going to have to beat them is get penalties on the board and take our chances when we when we get into their 22 and then defend as defend our lives out and make sure that we don't give Proctor and you know whoever a place on the wing, whether it's Narborus, like him or whoever, the space to kind of manipulate that defence out wide because Pierce Francis will make good decisions. He's in a really good vein of form at the moment for me. And I think he will find the right pass. So yeah, it's it's a difficult game to approach, I think. It's not like a Bristol where you say, right, we've just got to have a really good defence and that's how we win the game. And it's not like an Exeter where you say, right, we've got to win the battle up front and, you know, hope for the some of the fifty fifty goals go our way and someone gets sent off. There is strange teams play Northampton and if we play well, I think we can absolutely beat them. But equally, they could they could embarrass us. And that's the problem with playing on a good track, that if we get off to a bad start, you know, I, I hope it isn't, but it could easily be a 50-point loss again. It's, it's a bit, very similar to the Quinns game in that you don't want to get into a track meet because of those players that James has already highlighted. You want to limit the amount of broken field play. If it turns into an 80-metre sprint, um, you know, back and forth for each side, I think is where we're going to really struggle. But if we can control the game, if we can use De Klerk to put pressure on some of their young scrum halves, if we can put use John O'Ross, Cam Neal, etc. to put pressure on Fairbank at 10 and force them to make poor decisions, that limits the opportunities for broken field play. That limits um, the opportunity for Northampton to score, gives us more opportunities to counter-attack. And I think that is going to be how we have to approach it. Um, and James, just to that point, then to, to round this discussion off, you know, Sale starting to have a, a quite settled starting 15. Are there any changes you would make from that Newcastle game last week to uh, meet the challenge of, of Northampton at Northampton? Yeah, I think there's going to have to be, we played two games with, with no changes, so there will have to be some, but, um, you know, a lot less than the 10-11 that Sanderson started doing a few weeks back. So I'd be looking to make about three to four changes in the pack and I wouldn't make any changes in the back line at all. Um, I'd keep the back line completely the same. I think it's just starting to tick a little bit. So unless there's somebody coming back from injury that we need to take into account, I'd just play the same back line. And then up front, the changes I'd make is, I think Harrison's starting to play himself back into a bit of form after, you know, really struggling to come back from injury. Bevin Rod's done a great, great job for us and it probably is first choice, but... Harrison started to show signs of coming back. So I'd start Harrison and just swap them around. So Rod on the bench, I wouldn't bring Morozov as a new player into the 23 right now. Um, I think Langdon probably just needs a bit of a rest. He's done a massive stint. So I'd move him out of the 23, but I'd bring Ashman straight in to start. And I'd have Van der Merwe come back off the bench again just to continue to ease him back in. So there's there's two changes. Um, then I would, uh, I'd probably give Luda rest. You know, he's played two full 80-minute games coming back from injury. Um, and I think we've just got to be careful with him. You know, he's somebody who can win us the Premiership. Um, you know, he's tempting to play him 80 minutes every week. We're not going to be able to do it. Away at Northampton seems like a reasonable place to give him a bit of a bit of a break. So I'd, I'd, I'd take him out of the 23. I'd move Visa into the second row. And obviously, Jono's back at six. Um, I think it's actually just as a secondary point, very important for Sale to understand that they can win with a different captain and without Jono for a week. But with a week off, he's going to have a point to prove. If he doesn't see the red mist, he's going to have a good game. So he just comes in at six, Visa moves into the second row. And then the only other change is I just switch back around Neil and Dugdale. They seem to be doing one game off each. So there's my four changes. So four changes in the pack and no changes in the back line. 
um, and and the bench being p- pretty much the same. Um, so um, that's all I, I would do, and I don't think it would weaken. Yeah, I think that's the thing. When you look at those four changes, and I don't think it really weakens the side. You're always going to miss Lude, but you got to rest him at some point. And I think that that team just looks looks like it could still go to Northampton and win. Absolutely. So on that vein, then let's do some predictions. So James, you know, you're feeling pretty confident. Uh, how do you see Saturday afternoon going for Sale? Well, I think I've been a bit negative in the previous weeks, and so I'm going to back Sale here. Uh, and, and the reason why I'm backing them is because I'm backing Quinns today. And then that'll be two losses on the trot again for for Saints. And I don't think they've got enough pedigree from the previous weeks that's just going to carry them through two losses in a row. So I, I, I'm going to say Sale are going to sneak it, but it's clearly going to be a very close game. It's going to be something like 23-21. I mean, Saints will score points. Um, I don't know how much we're going to end up scoring, but 23 points away from home, I think will be a good return. So I think, yeah, 21-23. I'm a little bit more confident than you, it sounds like, because I'm going sale 22-15. I think we're going to really struggle to fully pull away from them. But I think in a match that is kind of pitting Northampton's strength in attack versus our definite strength in defence, I think we should be able to win that. And I think actually our squad is looking a fair bit deeper than Northampton's at the moment. So I'm feeling confident with a win, but it's still going to be relatively close. Uh, Alex, your thoughts? Yeah, I really can't read this game, as you can probably tell from my ramble for five minutes before. But um, I think Northampton are going to miss having an 85% kicker. Um, and I think on that basis, we might just sneak it. Um, I, I am very on the fence here. But yeah, I will say Sale uh, 19, Northampton 16. The I also would start Rafi Quirk, by the way. Uh, you see, I th- I think that Sanderson is managing Rafi perfectly. If you yeah, look at what they did with Jamie George, they they just kept him behind Smith. They kept him behind other people, and you always like this guy could play for England. Why aren't they starting him? And they basically played him off the bench for two seasons in a row, which is why George is older than everyone thinks now, right? Mm. But I think it made him a better player. Look, just watching and learning. Um, and I think that it's very different coming off the bench with 15 minutes to go when everyone's knackered and you just pass, pass, pass and then just give a tap and run. When you when it's nil-nil and you have to make strategic decisions, um, I, I think it's very different. So I, I just stick, I think Rafi's your second, your second choice nine now, definitely. But like I have him off the bench for 15, 20 minutes um, for, as, for as long as we can. Start him in the Premiership Cup when that when that starts. Yeah, sorry. To be clear, I don't want to start Rafi to win the game. I think our best chance of winning the game is starting Faf. I just want to see more of Rafi. <laughs> so it's you are of... in love. You, you, you're in love with Rafi Quirk as much as Lewis is in love with Faf the Clerk. I, absolutely. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> I think, yeah. What is it about this podcast and scrum offs? Presumably yours is Will Cliff then, James, in that case. I'll go for Cliffy. I'll go for Cliffy. Um, but I think in isolation, obviously, Sam James's legs still is the, my favourite aspect of Sail Sharks. Especially with James, James Williams not being here uh, anymore, which which was, well, it was a fun couple of weeks, I suppose. Um, so that's, that's the pod for this week. Um, thank you to... Everyone who's been listening last couple of weeks, and thank you to everyone who's been listening long enough to get all those references that we've just dropped in. Um, on the Patreon, um, as you'll have seen over the last couple of weeks, we've started doing a series of articles, um, so just an extra bonus written content, looking at um, all of the um, signings, departures, uh, and contract extensions that are happening in the squad at the moment, um, given that we're starting to approach sort of transfer season. Um, so that'll be an ongoing series, and it's just a, a fun bit of extra content to discuss our thoughts on on some of the new signings where we might not necessarily get round to them on the main pod. Um, and yeah, thank, thanks to everyone for listening, engaging with us. Thank you for all the engagements whenever we mention Rafi Quirk on Twitter. You know, that's that's why Alex wants to see him start, I think. Um, and that's everything from me. So, Alex, James, anything from, from your side uh, to sign off? Yeah, just just for me, just very, very quickly, just to... I will be doing something on, 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 the, on the Patreon um, account on Sale Youngsters coming through. We haven't had uh, any under-18s games for two seasons, which does make it difficult to really see 
the real youngsters coming through. But of the ones we already know, there are quite a few out on loan at, at the championship. So going to take the first couple of couple of games of the championship season just to see how they go. Because I think that'll be really, really interesting to see how that goes. Um, we've obviously got uh, Kieran Wilkinson and James Harper out on loan at Coventry, who won yesterday against Bedford. Um, and uh, we've got Tom Curtis, Joe Bedlow, um, uh, and uh, Joe Carpenter as well. Um, that they're, they're, they're off at loan um, at Nottingham. And then we've got two out on loan at Doncaster Knights with Gus War and Darren Reed as well. So we've, there's plenty of uh, opportunity to see how our players go in the championship. And uh, I'll probably be uh, getting very excited for the Nottingham against Coventry game. Tom Curtis against Kieran Wilkinson at 10. All games are being streamed as well in the championship for free online. And I think that most fans should be making sure that they watch that game. So watch this space. 